Hiya, handsome. Come to join the party. party people welcome to the patrama party where we do the beer bong in front of everyone and we choke on the beer bong in front of everyone and then we start crying in front of everyone because we almost died from a beer bong i'm your host remy ramirez and this week we're talking about money trauma this is something i've been wanting to explore for a long time money is such a complicated thing Everyone has feelings about it. Most people have strong feelings about it. And for a lot of us, it was a huge part of why we didn't feel safe growing up. I know that was for sure part of my relationship to money as a kid. So to help us get some perspective on how we heal our relationship to money, I'm excited to welcome trauma psychologist, certified somatic practitioner, and leadership coach, Isha Vela to the show. Hi, Isha. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Remy. So excited to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. And to get us started, let's chat about your astrology. You're a Cancer Sun, Capricorn Moon, Aries Rising. Is that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Such a dynamic combo. I love Cancer Sun energy because it's so nurturing and healing. And then, of course, Aries Rising is a whole other vibe. So that's very helpful and balancing. Aries is like total boss energy, very motivated, very active and then Cap Moon, the interesting thing, I cannot tell you how many therapists I've had on who have Cap Moons. Mm -hmm. It is so fascinating to me how often I see that, but it makes a lot of sense because like I always say, right, the moon oversees our emotional realm and Capricorn likes to sort, likes to organize, likes to apply logic. You know, Capricorn also likes security. It likes to earn money. So these are all things that make a lot of sense for you, right? Like in the work that you do, talking about money, but also in like looking at sort of the chaotic realm of of the emotional sphere and being like, okay, how can we sort of make some sense out of this, right? And of course, cap is earth energy. So it's very grounding for you having water, sun, fire rising, and then that that grounding earth energy. Do you feel those different energies come up in the work that you do? I feel very much like, like diversified in my astrology, let's say. <laughs> I feel well balanced in my astrology. I feel like, you know, if I had too much water, it would, you know, it just wouldn't work for me. I like, I like having sort of different experiences and different, like, yeah, sometimes I, I am really emotional, but then I also have that fiery side. So I feel like, yes, I have that, that power energy, like the emotions with the power behind them. Like, it's not sort of like, oh, wishy-washy or anything like that, but it, it does have structure to it. You know, I feel that it all sort of comes together nicely. Yeah. Well, and I think having an Aries rising is great for being a leadership coach. <laughs> you know, that makes a lot of sense for you. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, like being also like an emotional authority in HD, like I do have those really intense highs and lows of mm. emotion. So when, when Aries, like right now, like Mars is in, Mars is in cancer. And so I feel like there's a lot of stuff that comes up. I have like a lot of ragey moments where I have to be like, okay, Isha, get yourself on a bike or take a walk and like wind yourself down out of whatever you're like, woo, you know, and then I'm able to like have a conversation, but, <laughs> but yeah, I can be very intense in not so good ways as well. <laughs> well, I 
Yeah. And I think that's also important. You know, I, when I'm talking to a coach or a therapist, it's really important for me that they understand where I've been. Right. And they've worked with that same energy, you know, someone who's like, wow, I've never, I really can't relate to that. It's like, okay, cool. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm going to dive into my experience on this topic. While I do that, feel free to interject with thoughts, ideas, hidden resentments, you know, Okay. if you want to just get any of those off your chest or you can just hang out, chill, trace your hand, whatever you want to do. Either way, I'll turn some questions over to you at the end. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay, cool. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I'm going to start us off with a cute little story about the time I got busted shoplifting when I was living in Oakland. <laughs> So this is probably like 2007-ish. A little backstory here. I just graduated grad school and decided I hated academia because I felt like everyone was a snob. So my dream of becoming a creative writing professor had just died. And I was like, okay, I love fashion. I'm going to move to the Bay Area, one of the most expensive places in the entire fucking world, by the way. And I'm going to put myself through fashion school, starting with a job at a consignment store, which you know, not exactly a like super lucrative position. So pretty soon I was working four jobs and I was still broke as fuck because it's the Bay. So I started shoplifting to make ends meet. And one day I went to the Berkeley bowl, which is a big grocery store in Berkeley. And I just put a bunch of shit in my purse. Like I think I snagged an expensive lotion that I was going to give my mom for Christmas. And then like, a kombucha I remember because they're they're like five dollars each and I'm addicted and I and and two avocados I remember that because for some reason you basically have to put a down payment on an avocado anyway I stashed those in my purse and I headed to the checkout line to buy some other stuff and then I walked outside and this like hot lesbian babe I mean I I don't know for sure if she was gay but I mean it was the bay so definitely maybe But whatever, she definitely had this like hot lesbian vibe going on. She jumps out in front of me, like as if she'd been sitting on a wall, smoking a cigarette, like a, you know, like a hot queer James Dean. And she goes, hi, I think you and I need to go back inside. 
And I immediately burst into tears, which was already embarrassing because I'm in public, right? But like also extra embarrassing because of how attractive this woman was. And she leads me to some dude in the back of the store sitting in front of a bunch of TVs. So clearly the person who'd originally been like, you guys, this shifty bitch is definitely snagging our avos. And he makes me open my bag, takes all the food and the lotion out, and then gives me a lecture about how I'm going down the wrong path in life. And I seem like a nice girl and I shouldn't mess up my life with stealing. And then he said that I could leave, but that my picture would be up in the back. And if they saw me there again, they were going to call the cops, which by the way, yes, it was very embarrassing, but I also would like to take a second to call out my privilege because I'm white passing and I just really highly doubt that a brown person would have gotten such a light slap on the wrist had they been in my position. But anyway, I went home and cried and felt like shit because especially back then, I was definitely in the running for Miss People Pleaser USA. And I was definitely not accustomed to having run-ins with authority. So I just felt like a huge asshole. And then a couple of years later, I started going back to the Berkeley Bowl and no one said anything to me and everything was fine. So on the one hand, that's just sort of a funny story about the time I got busted for shoplifting. But there's actually a much bigger story there. When I think back on that time in my life, it was a really terrible time. A couple years before that, I'd been living in Puerto Rico and I got parasites from a stray puppy that I took in and I got really sick, which in addition to a whole bunch of other fucked up symptoms, also included really painful cystic acne that just came on out of nowhere. And for two years, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had all these symptoms that seemed not to be related to each other, but they all came on at the same time. I kept seeing tons of doctors, Western doctors. None of the, everyone said my blood work was fine. I was fine, but I was not fine. Finally, I saw an Eastern doctor who was like, girl, you have worms. <laughs> and when that happened, for one thing, that doctor was very expensive. I don't know if any of you have been to a naturopath before, but it's like $300 a visit. And here I was, I was fresh out of grad school where I was literally making no money and now living and working in the Bay, trying to put myself through fashion school. But I was so desperate at the time. I mean, I would have paid any amount of money to fix the issue. So I was broke from those naturopath visits and from all the herbs I had to buy from her, but also because she gave me a straight up mile long list of foods that I couldn't eat. And it was basically every goddamn thing in the world, except like quinoa and kale. Like I couldn't have sugar, wheat, rice, beans, corn, potatoes, fruit I couldn't have, nuts. So suddenly the only foods I could eat were these specialty health foods that were really expensive. Like, I don't know if y'all are aware, but like sliced turkey, just like regular sliced turkey has sugar in it. And if you don't want sugar in your sliced turkey, you're paying like $13 for six slices of meat. And I guess I guess I could have just said like, fuck it and eaten all the things that were on that list. But I was so terrified of falling back into the depression that I'd been in while I was sick, which was truly life-threatening because I, I was having suicidal ideation every day during that depression for like two years. So I was resorting to shoplifting to be able to eat in a way that wouldn't trigger the symptoms and the breakouts and by extension, this awful depression. So this is one story, 
but it's one in, of a gajillion stories of people in this country whose health and physical well-being comes down to money. Unlike just about every European country and Australia and Canada and like, you know, tons of other countries, we don't have socialized health care in the U.S. So there's this trauma around being unsafe if you can't afford health care, if your job doesn't provide it. It's a real sense of I am not safe. So I'll just add this real quick as a little comparison. When I was studying abroad in Spain, a group of us went to Germany and my friend started to feel really ill. We took her to the hospital and they were like, your friend has appendicitis and we need to operate immediately. She spent, I think, like five days in the hospital. They removed her appendix. And when it was done, she owed zero dollars and zero cents. <laughs> We weren't even German citizens. We weren't even European citizens. Totally free. For Americans, there's this underlying fear, I think, at all times, this feeling of not totally being able to relax into safety. Because what if I fall and break my ankle and I don't have insurance? What if I have great insurance for years, but I lose my job and I can't find another one for a while and I have a pre-existing condition, right? For a lot of people in this world, they won't ever have to worry about that kind of thing. Right. They never have to feel that lack of safety and security, regardless of how much money they make, because they live in a country that provides health care for them. So that's an example from my adulthood. But let's look backward. And since we're on the topic of feeling safe and money, I'll talk about being raised by a single mom and the way that that created the belief for me of I am not safe. My dad was around sort of, but we didn't live with him. He didn't pay child support. And my mom basically had to take the reins financially for my sister and me. And this was something that my mom talked about a lot when I was growing up. Not just that we didn't have money, which I did hear about all the time, but also that no one was helping her, right? This was a theme that came up all the time. She was exhausted from having to work so much while being a mom. And also that the work itself was traumatizing for her in various ways bosses who raged or who sexually harassed her that she had to put up with because, you know, we could, we, we had to make the money, right? We couldn't afford it. Those were the kinds of narratives I was hearing early on in my life. My mom worked in the film industry, which is a pretty cutthroat, volatile, unpredictable industry. She was a freelancer. So that made her income really unpredictable, which she would also tell us about when we were little, you know, that you never knew when the next job was coming and we couldn't spend anything because we didn't know when her next job was. Plus she was a single mom and no one's helping me, right? That's what she would always say. So by the time I was five or six, I was already worried that we would be homeless, which my mom never actually said, but the constant panic around money made me feel very unsafe at a very early age. Also, we couldn't see doctors because we didn't have health insurance, which also, you know, felt really scary. When it came to money, I essentially grew up feeling like there was no solid ground for us. We weren't protected. We could never relax. We weren't safe. I remember even as I got older, because as we got older, my mom's income did get better, but I didn't know that. <laughs> that was never something we talked about in the house. And I remember being in college and not qualifying for financial aid for my junior year at UC Santa Barbara. And my mom told me that I needed to write a letter to the dean pleading for a grant 
because even though she'd made $90,000 that year, which by the way, that's 90K in the year 2000, which I Googled how much that was in today's money because I was curious. It's a little under 160K. So that's kind of a lot of money. She told me to write this letter to the dean and explain that even though she'd made that amount of money, she could make absolutely nothing the next year. So even when we had money, the relationship to it was we have nothing. Everything could be gone in a second. We are not safe. So that's a huge thing for me when I think about money trauma, the feeling of I'm not safe that comes up for me around it. Another thing that I've sort of unpacked over the years of therapy is that my mom had a lot of heartbreak around being single when we were really young. And she equated that with us being broke. Like she would talk a lot about how if she had a boyfriend or if she was married, then she would have help with us and life would be okay. Part of my mom's mental health struggle is that she can have really erratic mood swings. So she can go from raging to sobbing to being totally fine all within like an hour or so. And that was really the case when we were little, in part, I think, because of how many of her stressors were being triggered. And back when we were little girls, there was a lot of my mom sobbing and raging about my dad, about him cheating on her, about him not paying child support, about him not loving us and abandoning us, abandoning the family. So the absence of our dad was linked in my mind to not having money and therefore not being safe, not being wanted not being protected, being abandoned, being depressed, being lonely, all these things that my mom would sort of mesh together in these breakdowns she would have. So in other words, essentially this connection was created in my head between struggling financially and loneliness, abandonment, and depression. So when I've gone through financial hardships in my life as an adult, they've come with this extra emotional lifting that has to happen. It's not just about, okay, let's figure out how to make more money. Now, suddenly I feel this deep sadness come up, this seemingly impenetrable loneliness, like the world has abandoned me and the goodness of the world has abandoned me. And I'm alone fending for myself, unprotected, and I'm in danger. I'm unsafe with no one to help me, right? That same sort of mantra that my mom had. It feels like I'm being victimized, which I think that's how my mom really felt when it came to her role as a single mom and the way it impacted her finances and her stress levels. And it certainly was how she felt in her relationship to my dad not paying child support. And that energy was so imprinted on me that as an adult, when I struggle with money, I feel victimized. I feel like the universe is against me. I'm not loved. I'm not provided for. So that's the second big thing I want to name. Being broke makes me feel like I'm not loved. But more than that, it makes me feel like I'm not lovable. And this is something that I've really been looking at more deeply lately. So here's a good example of where this comes from in my life, at least in part. Like I mentioned, my mom worked in the film industry and as you can imagine, a lot of people in that industry have money and are very flashy and they live extravagant lifestyles. And my mom used to tell us, you know, everyone I work with has a really nice car. They're all wealthy because they don't have kids. But I show up in this Toyota because I'm a mom and all my money goes to you girls. 
She would also tell us that she could have been really successful in her profession and make lots of money if it hadn't been for us. She would tell us that she couldn't ever take a feature film because she couldn't go on location for months at a time, right? She couldn't leave. She had to stick to commercials so that she could stay at home with us. And that was really holding her back. And obviously the way I received that was that we were a burden. And that was something that my dad also sort of corroborated for him. It wasn't really related to money, just like our existence was annoying to him. Right. But with my mom, it was really related to money and success and prestige. She couldn't have those things because of us. And so even though she never called me a burden outright, you know, like she didn't use that language. That was how I felt, obviously, when she brought up these issues. And that really truncated my self-worth. I talked about this recently on, an, on a different episode, but when I went out into the professional world, I would take jobs that hardly paid me, or I would do this other thing where I would try to help employers save money on me because I wanted them to like me and I didn't want to be a burden for them. I remember one time when I was well into my thirties, I set up a meeting with a boss to ask for a raise that I fully deserved. And I had to take an anti-anxiety pill ahead of time, which I never, I never took any, you know, anti-anxiety medication, but I had to take one because I was so terrified to ask for money because in my house growing up, asking for money from my mom was like, you were just sucking the lifeblood out of her. That's how it felt. So I was trapped in this loop of, I feel totally unsafe because I don't have money, but I also feel too unworthy of getting any money. So it was like such a mind fuck. So where has the healing been for me? For me, it's been helpful to understand what I associate with money, right? Like this loneliness and sense of abandonment, those beliefs of not being safe and not being worthy. Lately, I've been doing these really cool EFT videos on YouTube. EFT is also sometimes called tapping. It's basically where you tap on acupuncture points that correspond to certain meridians while you talk through changing a belief or pattern. So you could focus on changing your relationship to self-worth, to feeling lovable, to feeling safe, to loneliness. You can just Google EFT and see what comes up, right? Or like EFT, loneliness, whatever you want to do. But what I like to do is really like tune into what's coming up for me in the moment, whether it's fear, worry, grief, and then I'll search EFT fear or EFT worry. And then I, and I do the tapping video. So also they have EFT videos that are specific to money. So you can totally search for those too. But for me, I can feel that there are these bigger, you know, deep, painful issues at work behind my money stuff. It's not just like, oh, I forgot to balance my checkbook or whatever. <laughs> and so when I think about how I'm healing, I think about getting to the fucking root of it, right? To let go of the fear around asking for more money because I think I'm going to get in trouble, right? Or like to let go of the totally erroneous idea that the good things in life are so scarce and so hard to come by that I have to squeeze them in my hands and make sure I never let them go, right? And to let go of that idea that the universe has abandoned me. And that's why some people have money, but I don't, right? I'm also a freelancer. And so money also has been inconsistent in my life, which the blessing of that is that I get to work on this emotional practice a lot. The other thing I'll offer is there's this woman named Caroline Elliott, or it might be Carolyn Elliott, who wrote a book called Existential Kink. 
And basically the whole premise of it is that everything we have in our lives, we want on some level, even if it's subconscious. I don't totally get on board with everything she says. Like, I think that kind of thing works when you have a lot of privilege, but I don't think tribes in the Amazon who are getting pushed out of their homes because of like political greed and the destruction of the rainforest, like want that on some subconscious level. But for someone like me who does have a lot of privilege, I was really curious about that theory and about how it was showing up in my life. So lately I've been doing this practice. She suggests where you spend 10 minutes every night for a week thinking about what you love about not having the money that you want. What subconsciously excites you about living in scarcity mode and one thing that came up for me the other night when I was doing that is that I really like feeling non-threatening. Both of my parents were really scary growing up and I wanted to be the opposite, right? I am non-threatening. No one should ever be afraid of me the way that I was afraid, right? And I associate money with mean, heartless, cruel people who are threatening, so it was such an interesting realization because actually wanting to be non-threatening is something that comes up all over my life. And it's prevented me from setting boundaries, being clear about what I want, talking about my feelings. There's this piece of me that wants to be nice and accommodating and liked and easy. So it was such a trip to see how that word spilled over into so many different areas in my life and how it was holding me back in money and in a ton of other ways also. I also realized in this practice that I really want to feel like a baby. <laughs> I think it's just this unmet need from childhood. I want to feel taken care of. And for one thing, my dad was like minimally interested in us. You know, he didn't really like us as children. So we were never spoiled or lavished with love and care and affection from him. And like, don't worry, girls, I got this right. Like that was not my dad's uh, energy at all. And I mean, also, he never paid child support. So it wasn't like he was taking care of us or taking care of things and we could just like receive and relax. And then also, you know, obviously my mom was openly stressed as fuck 24 seven about money and she was gone all the time working. So even stuff like food or getting to school or getting to dance class, a lot of that I had to figure out how to do it all on my own. So I never felt spoiled. I never felt cradled in safety. I never felt doted on or lavished. I felt scared a lot growing up and alone. And as I was doing this exercise, I realized that that baby energy that I wanted to experience so badly, part of that is not being in charge, not being in control. When you're being taken care of, you're just receiving. You don't have to do anything. So there was this subconscious desire that I tapped into that was like, I want to relinquish control and feel taken care of by an outside enemy. And, that was funny. An outside enemy. That's perfect. By an outside entity. I don't want to have to do any of it for myself. But that's something I never let myself really acknowledge. For one thing, because I want to be a good feminist and the feminist ethos is like, I don't need anyone. I can do it myself. I'm totally capable on my own. Or anyway, when I was coming of age in the 90s, that was more the feminist point of view. I think it's changed in some ways to be more community oriented now. But so in my mind, as a good feminist, 
I think I've felt ashamed of this part of me that's like, I just want someone else to give me all the things, right? That's super problematic from a feminist perspective. And also from a like hyper independent American perspective too, like our rugged individualism about like, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. That that doesn't really have patience for, I just want to be a baby (laughs) and know what it feels like to let go and be cared for and not worry about money or safety at all, right? So one thing I've realized is that part of what's been running the show for me from behind the scenes is this unacknowledged desire to be taken care of because I don't want to think about money. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to worry about it. I just want to receive. So it sort of prevented me from like taking a more active role in like investing or in um, saving or, you know, whatever, in all of these different ways of thinking about money. So even though I always pay my bills on time, I have great credit, right? Like I'm responsible with money in those ways. I just also haven't taken the reins around my finances in a lot of other ways. I'm still in the early stages of realizing all of this. So this healing has really been more about the realizations and the light bulbs going off. So that's where I am right now. And that's what I can offer in my own healing journey. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Isha, how are you doing over there? I am resonating with so much of what you're sharing from from the illness <laughs> all the way to some of the this this idea this 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 recognition that you weren't held by systems, right? The systems weren't there to support you, right? The the socialized medicine didn't exist, right? And the feeling of wanting to be held and feeling like wanting to be cared for, like that resonates deeply with me. Mm, Yeah, I think probably a lot of people, especially for a lot of us who think about trauma and are working through trauma, we didn't grow up in homes where we felt held, right? We didn't feel safe. And I think that really impacts our relationship to money, which leads me right into my first question, what do you see as some of the biggest emotional blocks when it comes to changing our relationship to money? So, you know, my, my perspective and my orientation to money blocks, especially around emotions has to do with attachment. Mm. 
right? The way that we experience safety in relationships because we are in relationship with everything, including God and work and money, the way we relate in relationships is very similar to the way we relate to money. We feel this like, I I love it. I love money, but but and I want it, but I feel like I can't love it or want it because it's baseless, because it's not spiritual, because it's corrupt. Right. And so I, I'm not worthy or deserving of it. I have to reject it and push it away. Right. And so part of the pushing away may not be managing it responsibly, you know, or minimize, you might minimize its importance in your life. Uh, another pattern that I see a lot is like when we grow up in families where we don't receive enough attention, where we don't receive care or that holding that you that you named earlier. It's like sometimes we reach for for money with this energy of desperation, like, oh, I need it. Ah, I love money and I want money, but it's for everyone else, not for me. Um, other people can have it, but I can't have it or there's never enough. Like there's this underlying feeling of deprivation. And it can also flip to the opposite side where you are maybe leaky with money, where you spend or you overindulge or you treat other people but really like you're not taking care, like your, your house is out of order, right? Like you're not taking care of yourself, but you're just like, yes, this purse and I'll, yes, I'll get this, but you're not really either managing your money behind the scenes or everything looks fine, but it's not fine. And then there's like patterns where you don't experience pleasure around money. It's all about like, I have to sacrifice my happiness and joy to make money. Money is a lot of work. It's a chore. It's hard, right? It's hard making money is hard. And, you know, it's really then about like experiencing pleasure around money, both earning it and even spending it or investing it, um, allowing money to feel easy and playful. And then sometimes like there's power issues around money. Maybe you grow up in a family, if you're more privileged, for example, you grow up in a family where you may equate money with power or equate money with safety, right? So that if you don't have money, then you are not okay. Right. Which is like your internal, your internal sense of worth and safety doesn't exist without having this, you know, a partner or money. Right. When you think about it from a relationship perspective, and then there's like, you know, sometimes people grow up in families where, you know, there was an emphasis on performance more than on just like being, um, maybe they feel like they have to be somebody else in order to make money, or they have to, they feel like they have to be good in order to receive. I can't let myself have it, for example, or I'm not deserving of it. And of course, these beliefs, right? These dynamics exist in the unconscious level. And I'm so glad that you mentioned Carolyn Elliott, because, you know, even though I've been doing shadow work for a really long time, and I learned shadow work through my uh, somatic training, my somatic certification, this, this looking for where, where does the pleasure exist? For me, it was like, I enjoyed not having money because I didn't get taxed on my money. There was nobody trying to take money away from me. Oh, totally. <laughs> like I could fly under the radar. It was kind of like, I loved hiding. I loved hiding online. Like I was not visible online. I loved hiding in my relationships. I didn't share my vulnerability and I loved hiding from the government. 
<laughs> you know, so that spread across, right? A lot of different areas of my life. Wow. That, as you were talking, I was relating to so many things you were saying. The thing about desperation, when I think about, you know, talking about that loneliness piece that comes up for me, I also, I should mention, I am, I have been single for like over 20 years and I have felt this incredible loneliness. And it's something that I talk about in, in other episodes where I have felt like, I can't seem, these are two areas of my life that I, I like, I do so much work. I do so much healing. And it's like, but when, when you said desperation, that really resonated with me as that little girl, I was so desperate to feel seen. And I was so desperate for connection, especially with my dad. I have this memory, like I, I was such an overachiever because I was trying to get that need met. And I have this memory, like, I joined like every single fucking club there was so that my dad would maybe be like, Hey, you're cool. You know? And, uh, one of them was, I was, I was the captain of the dance team in high school. And one year I went to visit my dad and I brought the VHS of my dance recital and we came home. It was me, my dad and his girlfriend. We, we came back to the house and his girlfriend said, Hey, do you want to watch Remy's video of her dance recital? And my dad just goes, Nope. And he just turns on football and that feeling of like that desperate feeling of like nothing I do works to get the connection. I feel that sometimes with money, right? Like I just can't seem to like get the flow. You know what I mean? I just have to try harder. Right. Yeah. That des that desperation around like, how do I connect with relationships? How do I connect with money? Yeah, that is that was so powerful. So, so let me ask this for so many of us, trauma has played a huge part in how we relate to money, right? Like some of these things that we're talking about. And when that's the case, a lot of the beliefs we have about money get hidden under these traumatic memories that we try to forget or these painful beliefs we don't want to look at. Right. So like, how do we start con to connect with those painful truths in a way that can help us heal and welcome in more financial stability? Well, you know, something you said earlier, I think it's really important to mention. Um, you said the hidden piece, right? Which I, I think it's really important because a lot of this stuff is not only unconscious sort of individually for us, but, you know, think I'm, I, I look at things from a systems perspective as well. Like a lot of the work that I've been doing around unraveling my money trauma has been ancestral and collective, like connected to the trauma of colonialism. I'm I'm assuming you're Puerto Rican. I'm also Puerto Rican. Half Mexican. Okay. So I grew up on the island and just like feeling this constant, the constant implicit messages of like colonial mentality of like, you know, we received the leftovers from like, you know, stuff that didn't make it in the, in the market. Like, let's say in the, you know, in the supermarket in Puerto Rico, you see things that you know, didn't make it in the market in the United States. And we would get products that didn't make it. And so we would get sort of like leftovers. And we also got like leftovers at the hardware store, stuff that didn't really work that, you know, we got sent, <laughs> got sent to the Island from home Depot. So we, the messages, messaging was constantly like, you get the leftovers, you like, you're not worthy. There was sort of neglect sort of wrapped up in that. And 
I think it's important that we understand that when we, you know, when we hear our parents say, or when we hear culture say, money doesn't grow on trees, that's not what gets hooked in. What gets hooked in is the belief you have to work hard for it. It's like you want to stick a therefore, right? You can't have everything you want. Therefore, you have too many desires and there isn't enough money to buy anything, everything you want, right? So there's money is scarce. The, the belief is, or, or the, what you hear is money is the root of all evil. It's wrong to want it or to associate with it. So I'm, I'm going to distance myself from it. It's what we do with the message that we want to be looking at. And again, thinking about Carolyn Elliott, like having this as evidence for wanting, look around, look at what I kind of like consciously don't like about my life, but that I kind of get off on, Mm -hmm. you know, something that came up for me that was, and this is, again, this is hidden. I was in a, in a somatic process when I was in my four-year program, um, in a somatic, in my somatic program. And we, you know, there was somebody in my cohort in my 20 member cohort who had a lot of money. And I found him to be completely triggering because not only did he have money, he was like not aware of his privilege and he was kind of like kind of racially not really with it. And so I stood up on a chair in my process and I was like, you are this and you are that and blah, blah, blah. And I just let myself just kind of like have all of my, ugh, my grievance. And then I said, like, I can squeeze a dollar out of 10 cents. And I stopped and I was like, oh, oh my God, I'm fucking proud of that. I'm fucking proud. I get so much fucking pride from being efficient and economical. And I was like, oh, there it is. There's there's that shadow pride. Like, yeah, I'm powerful because I can squeeze a dollar out of 10 cents. And I'm better than you. I'm better than I'm you. I'm better than you. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. That's where I get my power. Right. And so we want to be looking at where do we have power and control in the situations that we're in, right? Where do we derive pleasure, power, and control? Because power to a child is pleasure. And even if they're screwing themselves in the process, it's still a sense of power and control. Oh my God, That can you say that again? That's so good. We derive pleasure as children from the place where we have power and control because as children, we don't have power and control. Right. So even if it means that we're screwing ourselves in the process, the pleasures, we still get pleasure. We still derive pleasure from getting power and control in uncontrollable situations. Oh, that is so good. It explains so many things, so many things, you know, people who aren't so emotionally involved, you're like, oh, that's what's happening with you. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. The powerlessness of maybe not having money Well, I felt powerful when I was able to derive pride, right? And feeling better than in my being able to squeeze a dollar out of 10 cents. Yeah. You know, that is so good because right. Of course it, it helps. And it helps us like, there are ways where I want to feel superior to other people all the time too. So like, yeah, I can be like, 
yeah, I don't live your hustle game. I'm out here doing my relaxed thing. And like, yeah, I don't have money and you do, but like that's, I mean, and also I don't, I don't, I don't want to do the hustle game, but it's, it's not about that really. It's about the power dynamic conversation that you have about who's better than who and why. And like, are we sort of hiding that? It's interesting. You brought up um, taxes because things that have showed up in my, like um, when I was living in Puerto Rico, I remember I was getting food, uh, food stamps and I loved it. I was like, oh man, food stamps are great. Like you just give me this thing and I get to go, like I use it to buy my food. That's great. And also like times when I've been on Medicaid, for example, especially like Medicaid, that feeling of being taken care of because Medicaid, it's like you're completely covered. Growing up, I was never covered. We never had health insurance. I couldn't just go to the doctor and like know that everything was get, like get a diagnosis and get my medication. And like, I couldn't do that ever. So being on Medicaid was great for me. I was like, yeah, I never want to get off this because I feel safe. I feel taken care of. But without having done some of that shadow work, I never would have known that that was something it was sort of it's like a desert inside me, right? That just that wants water so bad. And I look for it in these ways that sort of fuck me over in the end. And so, you know, you ask the question is like, how can we how can we begin to heal? Like, how can we begin to look at some of these emotional blocks? Whenever you think about money beliefs or experiences you grew up with or experiences that you're having with money now, replace money with the word love and see how that shows up in your energetic relationship to money. Oh my, I'm, I honestly feel like I'm about to cry because it, that, Oh, I never cry on this, but that is so powerful. That is such a game changer in how you think about it, because especially because that piece that you brought in around money is the root of all evil. So many of us grew up believing that and hearing that, but there is that deep connection. Like you mentioned earlier around relationships and attachment. I have anxious attachment style. I feel very anxiously attached to relationships like, and love. I don't know if I'm going to get it. I don't know if it's going to disappear all of a sudden. And then when I think about, money and how money to me money feels like love from the universe and when you said um we all we have relationships to everything including god i feel very anxiously attached to god you know like sometimes i'm like yes god loves me and sometimes that something could happen and it's like i go uh i do a complete 180 and i go from oh like the universe is totally in my corner to oh the universe is fucking with me and likes fucking with me and wants to hurt me right and money is part of how i feel like the universe god however whatever word verbiage you use communicates love to me so when when i don't have money i feel this tremendous abandonment by god in the same way that so many times as a kid i felt tremendously abandoned by my family oh yes i'll take a breath <laughs> you know and you you talked about um your attachment style right like let's go there i have sort of like an anxious avoidant and so like I mostly, mostly had, I have been avoided with money. Like in my, in my marriage, I was very avoidant with money. And I was just like, yeah, you take care of that. 
I'm outsourcing my, you, you take care. I'll make it, but you, I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to balance my checkbook. I'm, I'm too good for that. Like money is sort of this ugh thing, you know? So like neglectful, it's associated with corruption and the misuse of power. And I'm not going to be that way. I am choosing to be differently in the world and I'm not going to associate with that. And, you know, I had this really huge healing experience also through Carolyn Elliott's, um, I was part of her container for a little while. And um, I had this, she did a meditation where she, we had to imagine the spirit of money as a, like, yeah, we were sort of having a meditation with the spirit of money. And I imagined the spirit of money as a partner, as a love partner. And I was, I was walking, I was on a walk and listening to this meditation and doing the meditation. And I burst into tears because I realized that money had always been there for me. I had, it had always been there for me, even when it was like, it felt scarce. You know what? I was able to pay my bills. Like I scrounged, like it was like, you know, yeah, I found money in the, in the, the, the sofa, in the chairs of my car, I always found enough money to pay my bills and to keep going. And in that way, money had always shown up for me. And I was just like, I asked for forgiveness and I was crying and I was like, thank you for always being here for me. I didn't realize. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you now. Like it was this whole outpouring of like, the the non-abandonment, like I recognized how it had always been there for me and that I just had not seen it and had not let myself fully receive it. And that is such a powerful thing when you think about the connection between having a relationship to money and having a relationship in general, right? Like when I think about the spirit of money and having that person be a love or having that entity be a lover and how powerful like this, when it comes back to how we think about love and how we think about money and how there are all these connections underneath it and changing those stories from love isn't available, money isn't available or love is scarce. That was a, that's been a big one for me. It's really hard to find love and right. Like, it's always been there yeah. in ways you didn't see ways you weren't acknowledging. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to do a deep cry when we get off this call, (laughs) (laughs) a big, long, long cry. (laughs) Let me ask you this. I actually, I want to put my next question on hold and, and I know, cause I know you do somatic work when you're thinking about healing money trauma and you're thinking about like somatic work, do you have any particular, are there like somatic ways that you go about it? Well, there's, there's two things, right? Like, like I I feel like I'm not someone who goes looking for my shadow work. Shadow work comes and finds me. (laughs) So just notice, just notice where you get triggered. Like notice, like when you're online scrolling, you're like that fucking bitch. She's like fucking flaunting again. Like I feel so fucking triggered. Okay. All right. Let yourself feel triggered. Like feel the discomfort of that. Right. Invite that in and invite it in in a particular way where you're kind of like, "Mm, okay, what's going on there? Like with that curiosity, 
and let yourself move the energy of it. And I, and like, I emphasize, move your freaking body. Don't just lie down. This is where I just break with Carolyn Elliott. Don't just lie down and meditate without moving your body, move your body, move the energy. If you feel ragey, move the rage, hit a pillow. Like, Oh my God, I can't fucking stand that bitch. Whatever it happens to be for you move it. I get on my exercise bike. My, I have some strong ass thighs from all of the pedaling that I've been doing this last year. And, or I walk outside and I just like, let myself feel the discomfort, like welcome it in because there's an alchemical process that happens when you are moving your body and feeling the feelings and saying yes to it, something shifts. Right. And then like, there's like this thing that opens up. You're like, Oh, on the other side of that discomfort, there is an opening. There is insight. There is like, okay. Right. Something shifted. There's more availability for you to receive because you allowed yourself to receive the full spectrum of those emotions through your body. Mm. Right. So like, when you get triggered, when you get activated, when you feel like self-righteous, when you like have a little bit of that uh, edge to you, notice, right? And just let yourself feel it without, because a lot of times what, where we block our own healing is when we're making a judgment. We're like, this is good. This is bad. I want this. I don't want this. And we're sort of in this binary place. But by welcoming it all and being like, okay, thank you. Yes. What is this? Like, let me, let me run it through my body. Then it's a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's one thing. And the, the second thing is more like this, like an attachment based technique that I use. It's really like the tool that I use in all of my containers and I call it embodied relational presencing. And it's sort of a, a somatic form of IFS of internal family systems where you know you're feeling activated or you're even feeling an, an uncomfortable sensation in your body and so what you do is you go to it with your internal sight you go to it in your body you travel to that place and you sort of check out again what is your relationship to it right what's going on there do you feel like it's this avoidant thing where you want to like move away from it or like oftentimes we abandon ourselves right we abandon the young parts of ourselves that need to be held. Let's use that as an example. So what you would do then is you would go to it and you would ask it what it needs, right? And it would probably say, I just want you to hold me. And your adult self will then scoop up this little baby and just cradle it, cradle it, cradle it until it felt full, until it felt like it was satisfied. Ah, and then it could relax because it got what it wanted, right? It received, it received from you, right? So this is where you are able to be your own, like you can be your self healer, you know? And that has been such a powerful tool. That's what I teach people. It is freaking miraculous, right? Because you can actually step in. Yes, we love to be witnessed. It's important to be witnessed. And when you are able to be witnessed, then you can also do it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about that, about inner child visualization stuff a lot on here because that has been so huge in my healing practice. So massive to hear what little me to go back to four-year-old Remy, who's so confused. Like, why doesn't my dad hug me? Why does, why does he yell at me so much? Why is he always 
why doesn't he come visit us? You know, like stuff like that, going in and talking to her, holding her, letting her cry, visualizing. I've done visualizations where I take her to Disneyland, you know, stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing that in because I know from experience that it's so powerful and it's so good. So let me ask beyond some of those somatic techniques, what are, what are some things we can all start doing now in healing our relationship to money? I feel like it's the observation, like just observe again, what don't you want? Like when you're looking around, like what don't you like about your life and ask yourself from a, from a really like non-judgmental, but, but self-ownership kind of place, how am I contributing to this? <laughs> how am I, how do I actually kind of want this? Mm-hmm. And with like, with very gentle observation, um, and something that I was going to say before, I'm going to come back to this, but something that I want to say before about techniques is that when it comes to shadow work and the unconscious, like there's so much that we learn before we are even verbal, right? Not just in our families of origin, but stuff that gets passed down again from the ancestral pieces, from the collective pieces that we kind of receive epigenetically. Like we just kind of receive into like our, our cellular cellular makeup it has all of these sort of like scarcity programming, things like that, that sort of we come in with without us having even like arrived on this earth plane. And so that's why it's important to move the body to to be able to uncover deeper layers as to what's going on. That's another piece that I wanted to mention. So what can we do to heal? Is that was, that was your last question? Yeah. Um, Noticing where you are, exercising judgment, like in your life, like what, where are the triggers? Where are you making something right and something wrong? Where do you feel jealousy? Mm. You know? uh, Yeah. You know, like you were saying earlier, you were like, Oh, I'm making a judgment about this person. Oh yeah. Well, you're doing the hustle lifestyle and I'm not. And uh, being like, Oh, is that, is that true? Is that the whole truth? It takes this observation, this this ability to sort of be with what's happening and to develop a really strong observer self. Cause a lot of time our, you know, we're sort of projecting out onto other people. Right. And then when you're, when you find yourself in projection, ask yourself like, how, like what is it about them that I don't like about myself? Right. That, that'll, that'll probably get you into, into some, some good weeds, but something else that I wanted to mention that I, that I feel is important that it has been instrumental in my experience. Yes. I am all about the body work and I feel like mindset is really critical too. So once you, once you find out what your stuff is, right. Once you find out, like, I want to, I want to, I want to be held. Right. And you practice holding yourself then something that you might want to bring in is like, I am held by the universe. I am so deeply loved by the universe. What is it like to walk around through your life and to behave in your life as though you were deeply held? Mm. What would you do then? Right? What, how would you show up in your business then if you knew you were so deeply held and loved? Whoa, this is wild. Because last night I dreamed that a 
a good friend of mine, a man that I woke up and he was spooning me from behind and that I wasn't, I I have, you know, I've been sexually assaulted and I have, you know, fears around men and like that kind of thing. And I, when I thought about the dream, when I woke up today, I thought that's really odd that in my dream, I wasn't scared at all. I was like, how nice that he got in bed with me and was holding me. And I, it almost feels like, a premonition or something about this conversation that we were about to have around. I want to feel held. I want to feel safe. I want to feel taken care of. Like all of these things are kind of coming together. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so that's arising in your subconscious or in your unconscious, like, what is it like to go to bed at night and feel the presence of money wrapped around you, like holding you? It's the spirit of money, you know, just kind of like bringing it in in creative ways and then allowing yourself to to feel have that experience in your waking life or in your day to day and feeling the, that presence there that is like, I am always held. I am always supported. And to really not just think it, but actually move from that place. Right. To like maybe wrap myself up like like a cocoon, like in a big, warm, fuzzy blanket and spend 10 minutes feeling really safe or like doing something that makes me feel really safe. Because that's my thing is like, I'm not safe. I'm not safe because I don't have money. I'm not safe. I'm not in a relationship. Like, right, like the ways that I associate safety in these, in um different areas of my life. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Sorry, I sorry I interrupted you. I got excited you brought in the safety piece um because we the the one of the biggest things that i work on with women especially is building their receiving muscle when we begin to unravel some of these attachment wounds we open up our capacity to receive right it's nervous system work essentially right it's nervous system work when i think about shadow work i want you to think about like the inside of a house right and there's a breeze blowing through the house, but there are some doors, it, like there's some rooms in the back that are closed. And so the wind can't blow through those rooms. Let's say the wind is abundance. Let's say the wind is the flow of money. Let's say the wind is the flow of love. And if those doors are closed, there's no way wind or love or energy or money is going to get into those places. So the shadow work is about opening those doors so that more stuff can flow in. So that is opening up capacity. That is opening up you're receiving, right? Your capacity to receive. So that is something that is is really important that that inner child healing, that um, the attachment work opens up the capacity to receive. Behaving as if is not about faking it till you make it, but it is about really aligning with the truth. The truth is that you are supported. The truth is that you are loved. And so all, all we're doing is just kind of sh- orienting ourselves to what's true. And as soon as you start to do that and you start acting through that new belief, that new whatever orientation, your gunk is going to come up. Your gunk is going to come up and it's going to show itself and your fear is going to arise. And so when your fear arises, that's when you want to be holding things very gently and you want to be able to say like, yeah, I notice you. I, I see how scared you are. Let me hold your hand. Let me be with you. It's going to be okay. I know this is brand new. This is unknown. This doesn't feel safe. 
that actually this is safer, right? And a lot of us don't feel safe receiving, right? So we have this influx of money coming in and we're like, oh, and we push it away. We either spend it, we squander it, we lose it, we mismanage it, something happens, right? <laughs> so the, the feeling safe to receive is as important as like, you know, other type like the safety of, of people feel unsafe not having, but people feel unsafe having it also, right? If I have it, will it stay? Right? Will I lose it at any moment? Right. That kind of stuff. And it is so powerful for me to think about how I ask those exact same questions when I think about a relationship. Exactly. Yeah. The the love, money, attachment trifecta is really, really powerful. It will reveal it will reveal sort of where your where your areas are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this conversation has fucking blown my mind. I am so moved. I'm so, um, I feel like I've learned so much and I have so much to kind of use and, and pull from going forward. And I'm sure so many other people feel the same. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram at Isha underscore Vela with one L, um, ishavela.com. I don't really have a lot of stuff around money and wealth going on on my website but in my facebook group i have um body wise business coaching and wealth wizardry for revolutionaries that's the name of the facebook group so i in the next month especially i'm going to be doing a lot of um free events or low cost events and then maybe in the fall i'm going to do a in person event Um, so definitely get on my email list, get in my Facebook group. There's a lot going on. Amazing. So cool. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama party or on my personal Insta at Remy's R E M E E Z. You can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, definitely hit me up. Also, if you want to join the Patrama Party community, find us on Facebook. It's such a cool group of listeners. We check in with each other about the stuff we're going through and offer support and resources. So if you're into that kind of thing, just search the Patrama Party and I'll add you. And speaking of support and money, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. And I read all of the reviews and you can support the pod financially. You can give a dollar a month, $5. I pour myself into this work. I put so much time and energy into it. So if you're able and move to just go to anchor.fm forward slash the Patrama party and scroll down to the support button. You can also find the support option on Spotify. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. The information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. None of the material presented is intended to be a substitute for psychotherapy, counseling, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you need to speak with a professional, find one local to you and reach out directly.